0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is a little bittersweet today. We are coming to the end of Revelation, um, and it has been an awesome year. I was talking to somebody just before service and really sort of expressing that bittersweet feeling of it was an awesome journey. So I'm not, you know, I don't have any regrets about it. But now, it's over. <laughs> and it's, it's over on a day when we, we are just starting and beginning stuff, which is also cool, right? We see all that dirt that's moved out there and, and the excitement of finally after all of this time, we're seeing the, the real fruits of the labor of the last several years. So it's a really bittersweet kind of day. But just to give us a, a big picture before we dive in this morning of Revelation from beginning and now to the end. Revelation is really a series of three visions, and those visions are sevenfold. Remember those? There were censors and different things that that were sevenfold. And it was all about the events on earth, the way earth was going to be from the ascension of Jesus until his return. And then in between those visions, we got sort of this bigger picture and instructional stuff of Revelation. And hopefully you've seen throughout the entire book of Revelation that there's this great Christology, meaning the teaching about who Jesus is, and the Christology in Revelation is Jesus in his glory as king. He is The, the centerpiece of Revelation is that while all of this stuff is happening and will continue to happen here on earth until he returns... Jesus is king. Not not will be king, not eventually, but right now he is the king and these things are playing out on earth and there will be suffering and sorrow and, and challenges for all people, including Christians, but we know that Jesus is king and that we are his children, as, as John calls himself, a servant or a slave. And then we get to this end piece and it's a a beautiful sort of capstone to all of that. It is the the end of Revelation is a benediction, it's a blessing, and then there is this Well, I'm going to call it a great commission at the end of the sermon. That's essentially what it is. So that's what we've got going on today. Um, Also, just after service, I just want to remind everybody, Omega Hour will be meeting. Topic for today is Judaism. What do Jewish people believe? What kind of different denominations do they have here in the U.S., over there in Israel? Um, so, if, for those who are not familiar with it, it's not a Bible study, but there's lots of Bible included. Um, it's just sort of a topical thing that we go through. So, if you're interested in that, um, uh, just after the service, grab some coffee, some snacks, or whatever, and we'll start um, about 20, half an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour after the service is over. With that, we have today Revelation 22. Starting with verse 14, Um, this does include the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Um, For that, would you please stand? Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You may be seated. And one of the uh, hallmarks of living faith, I think, is, has come to pass <laughs> a little bit because of a hobby horse of mine. Now, that's not um, unusual. Everybody's got their own hobby horse. Every pastor, for sure, has their pet doctrine or or pet hobby horse. I'm pretty sure everybody here probably knows what mine is. That is the preaching of the resurrection from the dead, the new heavens, and the new earth. I discovered this when I came out of the, the seminary and um, started you know preaching in, in the church I was called to in Michigan, but also I had all these friends in these other congregations and you know Facebook was brand new at the time and, and social media. We were able to actually stay connected pretty well in that that graduating class. And one thing we all noticed was there were a lot of people in these churches that we were sent to who are really kind of fuzzy on the idea of the resurrection from the dead. Now, from the perspective of a guy like me who was you know, raised in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, went through all of the, the uh, LCMS school system into college and to seminary, the resurrection was always centerpiece to the hope of, of Christianity for me. That was, that was the, the centerpiece of it all. But I learned that... <laughs> oftentimes that part of the story will get sort of left out. And and congregations got accustomed to hearing about the the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if we believe in him, though we die, we shall go to heaven to be with him forever. You've probably heard that in churches before. And I don't want to, again, I'm not not dogging on any churches or congregations or preaching or anything like that, but it's, it's just less than accurate, and it leaves out this glorious peace of, of the Christian hope, which is that we will be raised from the dead with physical bodies to live on a physical earth. And, and it would blow my mind. And, and to this day, I go different places and talk to Christians who, who just look at me blankly and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Jesus was raised, but that was a Jesus thing, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's more than a Jesus thing. The hope is for us. We get to be raised from the dead This is great hope. It's a a centerpiece of not just our faith, but of the story that is in Scripture and, of course, in Revelation. And as we're walking through this story, once we get to Revelation, we see something of critical importance. (laughs) That's all. Literally, that's all, folks, right? I'm not going to do the porky pig voice, I promise. That's it. The things that God had planned to do that were these momentous, spectacular things or small and humble things, but actively involved in the planning out and execution of the plan of salvation is over. The next thing, the very next thing, is his return. It wasn't in our text this morning, but I want to read verse 13 to you. And it's not on the screen either. You don't need it on the screen. You can just listen to this one. It's easy. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This description of who he is is actually really instructive. First, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Meaning outside of creation, he and the Father are on this sort of equal plane in essence, both God. There's one God, three persons, and he is putting himself by name into that category. And then he moves. Not only is he Alpha and Omega, he says he is the first and the last. That puts him inside of creation, at least participating in the creation of all things. But then he says, I am the beginning. So you can kind of see it's, it's sort of coming down like this. I am the beginning and the end. Meaning that the story of salvation, going from you know, outside of creation, he is God. He is the, the one who is through him, all things are created. And then we have this, and now inside of that creation, the beginning of the story of redemption was about Jesus. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, the sentence was, you shall surely die. But they aren't dead immediately, right? Something happens. They are spared, and a promise of salvation is given to them, and the covering of their shame that Dan was talking about, the covering of that shame that they had was the skins of animals, meaning that an animal was killed. Death had entered. The sentence of death had been carried out, just not on Adam and Eve, on these animals. And there we see the first picture, the beginning of the story of blood shed by something else, someone else in Jesus to cover the sins of the children of God that they might live. That was the beginning and the end. The end happened at his ascension. Now this text is telling us we're not looking for anything else. We're not looking the same way. We're not watching for the same way as the Israelites had done in the Old Testament. The Israelites were looking for the next prophet to come to them to speak the word of the Lord so that they could hear the word of the Lord. They were waiting for the next king, the the next redemption from their enemies. They were waiting for all these real, tangible, right there in front of them things. And then they were ultimately waiting for the Messiah. They believed would come to this world. They were waiting for these things to happen inside of this world and time and, and space, and, and that's over with. The next thing that happens is Jesus comes back. The next time God intervenes in a way that affects all of creation is to end all of creation and to recreate a new heavens and a new earth. This is actually good news. I know we're all tempted to have that, you know, but I would love to see like a, a real prophet from God or one of these angels incarnates or one of these really cool things we see in the Old and New Testament. But he's done all of those things. Those things are all finished. And the thing about it is those things, as, as you're waiting for them, there's so much uncertainty. There's, there's so much, when is it going to happen? Will it happen? All of these different things um, actually give us more stress and more uncertainty. Let me ask, what are the things that you're waiting for? What are you waiting for in your life? What are you watching for and hoping for? I'll give you the one that that first comes to mind when I bring it up. I'm waiting for a Vikings Super Bowl victory, right, Larry? (laughs) He's laughing, right? Yeah, we're we're all waiting for that. We're waiting and waiting and waiting. The thing about it is, it's completely uncertain. Could it happen? (laughs) <laughs> Probably not this year, but <laughs> judging by the draft picks, but it I mean it could happen in the coming years, but there's no certainty to it. There's no guarantee ask a Cubs fan <laughs> All right it took a hundred plus years. My wife is a Cubs fan in case you're wondering why I'm <laughs> singling her out. So those things are uncertain. When we are waiting for something uncertain, we, we think we see it, we're, we think we're watching it happen, we think we're right there, that this could be the time, this could be the year, am I right, Larry, this could be the team? How many times have we said this could be the team? And then our hopes are dashed, and it's not. And we go back to waiting and watching and waiting and watching. That is the experience of the Israelites for thousands of years. What are we waiting and watching for? Something absolutely certain. And and I don't mean that it is certain that Jesus will return in your lifetime, but it is certain that when you die, you will see Jesus face to face. It is certain... 100%. 100%. If he doesn't come back in the next several decades in, in my lifetime, if, he, if I don't see it, I will absolutely see it when I close my eyes and I see Jesus for the first time and I'm there with him in heaven and then I will absolutely see the resurrection as as we are caught up with those still on earth. Whenever that happens, I'll be there. I will absolutely 100% See it. So we're waiting in a different way, something with absolute certainty. It's so much easier to be waiting and to be patient when we know what's going to happen. We know we're going to see him, 100%. So that's, that's the question that I have for you is, what are you waiting and watching for? What are the things on earth? But I do want to read verse 18. Was that right? Is that the next one I have? Whoops. That bulb is out. Yeah. I warn everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. I want to emphasize this. Don't chase after teaching or preaching or online cool things you see on on Facebook or on Instagram about this special new knowledge or this new way to read scripture or the church doesn't want to tell you, but here's the actual truth. All of that has been happening for thousands and thousands of years. And none of it has put a dent in the truth of the scripture. What we are waiting for is certain. And what we are waiting for is true. Don't let anybody distract you. Don't let anybody, don't, don't let any words that that are about uncertainty of your faith or God's kingdom even get into your ears. Know this for sure and for certain. The story of salvation is completed. It is done. There's nothing left for God to do. So all we have to do is trust, have faith and look forward to the resurrection. And (laughs) be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for every time you pray the prayers that maybe you pray pretty regularly. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You're praying for his return. Maybe you start dinner the way my family starts dinner with, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Do you know what you're praying for? You're praying for Jesus to return now. We all just prayed for Jesus to return when we said the Lord's Prayer. We all did that together. Are you sure that that's what you want? I want you to be brutally honest with yourself for a second. Do you want Jesus to come back today? because all of you did pray for it. Be brutally honest with yourself and think for a second how many times you've been annoyed or you've been frustrated with God because you've been praying something, asking for something, hoping that he delivers it and you're like, oh, he hasn't delivered it yet. What if he delivered on that prayer? What if somehow, some way, I could guarantee it's later today at sunset, Jesus comes back. We, we suddenly knew this somehow. Again, be honest with yourself. What would you be bummed about? What would you, what would you personally be upset about that you're going to miss? What would you have regret about? I mean, it's, Maybe it's, it's harder for, for others than, than some to get your heads around that, but I can tell you a little bit in my heart would be like, Dude, we just started moving dirt, Jesus. Ah. <laughs> We're just going to do it. It's right there, it started. Maybe it'd be more serious. Maybe it'd be, I don't know, seeing my kids grow up, going to their weddings, baptizing my grandkids, Right? Maybe maybe if you knew for sure he was coming back, you'd be like, I was five years away from retirement. I was going to get the cabin and the boat. Like I had all of this planned out. Well, when you're praying, come Lord Jesus. Or when you're praying, thy kingdom come, that's what you're praying for. And And I know each and every one of you could think of something that you would be a little bummed out for if indeed you knew for sure that Jesus was coming back, and I can tell you that's your idol. That's the thing that you are really looking for and watching for. Not the return of Jesus, but the stuff of this world. And if we've learned anything through this journey in Revelation, the things of this world will disappoint you. The things of this world will absolutely not give you a permanent hope or even a real depth of joy and hope. The things of this world always disappoint. That's just the way it is. Now, the way we live our lives is as if Jesus is coming back at any moment. But that doesn't mean what we do is, is, you know, don't forecast the future, don't make any plans, don't do anything. One of the greatest Um, quotes of Luther that we're not even entirely sure he said, but it's a great one anyways, (laughs) which is, if he knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would he do today? Plant a tree. You go, well, that's ridiculous. The tree wouldn't grow. (laughs) The tree would be destroyed. What his point was, or whoever actually wrote that quote and said it, because it is brilliant, His point was that we should be living as if he's coming back tomorrow all the time, even when we're making these plans, planting a tree, knowing that it won't even reach its full maturation in his own lifetime because it is good and it is the right thing to do. And and it doesn't matter if Jesus comes back tomorrow because what I'm doing today is in line with the kingdom of God. So it's, it's not as though you should stop being, being anticipating and, and joyful for the things that you've planned for, for retirement or watching your kids grow up. It's not as though you should forsake the joy because those are good gifts from God. It's just that at a level above and beyond that is the knowledge of Jesus' return. And, and the faith aspect of it is whatever the return is like, Whatever the new heavens and the new earth is truly, fully like, because we get a glimpse in Revelation, but man, we cannot fully comprehend. Whatever that is, it's better than you can imagine. It's better than you can even start to like, but it's like, a, I have a really big boat planned. Is it better than a really big boat? Not like a little dinghy, like a really big. Yes, it's better than that. Is it really better than a cabin in the woods? With with deer and elk, it is better than those things. Is it really better than the Vikings winning the Super Bowl? It is. (laughs) It is. It's better than all of those things. And if and if that's hard for you to get your head around, it's because you've put some of your hope, some of your trust, and some of your faith in the things of this world. You won't for a moment in the new creation, in the new heavens, in the new earth, think, oh, but I wish I could have, or I wish I would have seen, or I wish I would have done. Not for a moment how glorious it will be, because we know there is no sorrow, there is no shame, there is no regret. All of those things, if you recall from our text this morning, are outside of the city walls. All of the things of of evil, of sin and sorrow are outside. You can't even access the feelings of shame and sorrow and regret. That's what we are looking for and watching for. And absolutely, we should be praying every single day, come, Lord Jesus, thy kingdom come. Come quickly, O Lord because I'm also gonna be a little brutally honest with all of you, you guys got it easy. I know, (laughs) I know that some of you have tough times and and that can be financial, it can be relational, it can be all sorts of different things. We, We have people struggling physically, mentally, emotionally. We are all suffering the ramifications of the fall into sin, which by the way is what the three visions say we will always suffer from. At the end of the day, however, (laughs) you've got it easy. There are Christians out there who are truly suffering. Those that, that we send teams to in Kenya, especially those in the refugee camp, but in Morunga too, there are those who are suffering in real poverty, in real hunger in real pain. There are those who are suffering real evil, real persecution. Not like we suffer the persecution of people looking down on us like we're not very smart, or these silly Christians or anything like that. Suffering persecution in terms of people attacking them, physically assaulting them, those Christians are praying very fervently, come Lord Jesus, quickly. Because his return does end all of the suffering. The new heavens and new earth ends all of the suffering. And for us, our suffering pales in comparison. When we pray that prayer, it isn't just about him returning for us. It's not just about our death and being with him. It is for this, this world. It is for all of those in this world for the suffering to end because they have hope in Christ Jesus. And the time between the ascension and his return isn't meant for us to to suffer through. It isn't meant for us to deal with it until he comes back. It's meant as opportunity because the book of Revelation as it caps the entire canon, Old Testament and New Testament and says all of the things, the plan of, of redemption, the narrative of the story of God entering in and paying for our sins, this is all done and now. You who believe you've got a job. You've got a great commission. But it's a weird one, right? Because <laughs> John's gonna be John. John's gonna be John. And the great commissions we have, you know, you can look at Matthew 28. Let's take a look at that one really quick. Matthew 28, I need it on the screen because I don't have it in front of me. Do we have it? Oh, Brian's <laughs> just torturing me now. And there it is. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Commissioned to go out in a very systematic orderly way. Go spread the gospel. And here's how you do it. Baptize, teach. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I'll be with you. All of the details, all of the plan, ready, set, go. And then Luke actually gives to us, well, people don't call it a commissioning, but I think it kind of is a commissioning. In the book of Acts, he talks about, well, how's the strategy going to work? So from the book of Acts chapter 1, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These concentric circles. So he gives the information. The Spirit's going to come to you. You will witness, and you will witness first right here, and then a little bit greater distance, and eventually to the very ends of the world. What is John's great commissioning? (laughs) I don't have this on the screen, but it's verse 17 from today. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. But the one who desires, take the water of life without price. It's 100% invitational. Yes, there is this commissioning to go to the ends of the earth. And, and far too often, I think, we as Christians think that's the job of missionaries. We send teams to Africa. We, we send people out in the community. We do these certain things. But it is also just simply an invitation between his ascension and his return, he has given us the time to invite, to welcome people into. You don't have to go anywhere <laughs> to give somebody an invitation. When a, a bride invites people to her wedding, she didn't go anywhere, she just sends invitations, lets people know it is time to come. We are the bride of Christ according to revelation according to paul in ephesians we are the bride of christ we're not just the missionaries sent we are not just those who who are um, commissioned to do these very logistically sound well thought out programmatic going and telling we are just the bride of christ who says come to the, the lord come and hear the great news Come and celebrate with us. Come and see a ceremony in which God's people and God himself are united. We call it divine service. Come to the place where the people of God gather to be given, to be fed, to have the water of life poured out upon them. This invitation isn't just for the people you know. It's for you. Come to the water Come to the, the food, the, the body and the blood. Come to the place where you hear this good news of the resurrection from the dead. It, invitation is for you, but it is for everybody who you know. We all think of that, that great commission. Well, I don't know anybody in Jerusalem or Judea. And I can't go to the ends of the earth. And we, we think of um, the Great Commission in Matthew of, well, I, I can't baptize. I'm not a pastor. I can't preach. I could maybe teach some children's church. Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Is those If you're thinking that way, turn that off and just think about who can you invite to hear the good news? Who can you invite to hear this um, apparently surprising new doctrine of the Christian church that there's a resurrection from the dead? This, this whole idea of the resurrection, I hope this congregation and other congregations around the globe start to resurrect the resurrection, to say this is the real hope and joy. You don't feel right in this body as a young person? Guess what? That's, that's not uncommon. <laughs> None of us feel really good and really right, whether if you need a, a knee replacement, your knee probably doesn't feel right. And if you don't feel like you fit in in your social group, you probably don't. And maybe your fault, maybe not your fault, but you know what it is? It's sin. Maybe you don't feel in the right place and maybe you just, you know what? Guess what? Sin has infected so much of this world. And we see it really clearly in suffering in those places um, where where Christians are truly physically suffering. But we absolutely have it in our culture and our community. There's not a person you know who doesn't suffer because of sin. There's not a person you know. Maybe they won't admit it. Maybe they don't want to talk about it. Maybe they don't even see it. But there's not a person you've met and know who doesn't suffer from sin. The sin of this world, have they been invited? Have they been invited to hear the solution to the suffering? Have they been invited? It's not something I can do for you because I don't know them. It's not something the church can do for you because we all don't know them, but you do. You know the people who need the invitation. You know the people who who emotionally and spiritually are all dried up. And they'll put a nice face on the outside and, and do what they can, but spiritually and emotionally they are dry and need the water of life. The Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, joins the bride of Christ in simply saying, Come. Come to the waters. Come to the place. Come to hear the good news of Christ Jesus. So we're watching for the resurrection, not for the stuff of this world. And while we're watching for it, we've really got one job to do, just to invite, just to say, come. You should hear Not the preaching of Luke or the preaching of Dan or the music. You should hear the word of God that promises to you a resurrection and the solution to all of these things that you struggle with in eternity. We are looking forward for that day of the return of Christ and the resurrection. And my encouragement to you is to continue, but also to invite others to just keep coming. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, We're going to go ahead and pray while the kiddos come back in and then we'll have our benediction. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for the invitation extended to me as you worked faith in my heart as the Holy Spirit planted that seed and grew it over the years that you have brought me here where I can not only receive from you, but have the humble opportunity to give to others the food that truly nourishes the water of life. I pray that the word that you have spoken through revelation would resonate in us about how your son Christ is king and the hope of the resurrection. May it always be first and foremost in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. May we constantly be looking for that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now for the kiddos, come on back in, everybody. Come on in. Would you please stand for the benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.